Shalom, and I hope all is well. My name is Yitzchak Schiffman. Thanks for tuning into this podcast, and I hope you enjoy the Torah classes in it. Now, on to the episode. Shalom, everyone. Hope everyone's doing well. Shavuot Tov. Bezat Hashem. Tonight, we're going to review last week's Gemara, which was from Yudbet Amudbet, Close to the bottom of the page at Gufa Amar Shmuel, about uh, 10 12 lines from the bottom of the page. You bet them would bet there till Yud Tetvav Amud Aleph, the bottom of the page. We're going to have seven sections in today's review, and our learning, as always, should be a Zechut Ameri for Reflash Lema, a quick, speedy, and complete recovery for Yaakov Ben Dina. And we should hear B'sarot Tovot, only good news. So Bezat Hashem, let's get started at Gufa Amar Shmuel, Yudbet Amudbet 12b. Gufa Amar Shmuel. So Shmuel had left off last week. We made a statement, two weeks ago actually, with the following thing. That the court is not allowed to add a second Adar if they've already reached the 30th day of Adar. Because, Shmuel says, since that day theoretically could be Aleph Nisan, as the previous month could be 29 days, so it wouldn't be appropriate then to make that into a new Adar. Before that you could, after that you could not. Says the Gemara Yivromai, what's the halacha if a person, the Beitin, went ahead and did it anyways, they added the extra Adar? So Mulul says it is effective, but ein mekajin chodesh. You cannot sanctify that Rosh Chodesh for Adar Sheni. Because that would already be too much, that would be inappropriate, it would be to some degree uh, making a leap year after, to a certain degree, Nisan came. So instead, you would just allow it to become Adar Sheni, don't declare it Rosh Chodesh Adar Sheni, and then a month later when it's Nisan, Nisan will also uh, be declared, that already could be declared properly. Says the Gemara, Kid Shumai. Okay, but what happens if they did consecrate the, the Rosh Chodesh? They went ahead and they declared it. They did Mekudosh, Mekudosh, the whole process, and they did sanctify the new month of Rosh Chodesh Adar Sheni. So Marava Bata Le'ibor. Rava says, now it undoes what they were attempting to do in terms of adding the old month, and now instead of being Adar Sheni, now it's Rosh Chodesh Nisan. That's Rav. Rav Nachman says, no. The leap year remains, and it's sanctified as Rosh Chodesh Adar Sheni. Amr the Rav the Rav Nachman. So Rav says there's a technical issue that this creates because Michti Mipuri lepischat latin yominhav. We know from Purim to Pesach is thirty days. Mipuri adarshinan bilchot Pesach. And since you're supposed to learn the laws of the festival thirty days before, so they would have already started learning the halachot of Pesach. The Rabbi in Shul would have already started to teach that from Purim. Titania is the Brayta says Shalim bilchot Pesach kodem Pesach shloshim yom. You're supposed to learn thirty days before. Shemil argues it says two weeks, but we know that Tanakama says 30 days. The problem then is, is that when Purim is over, they're going to start learning the halachot of Pesach, and when they hear that they've uh, sanctified, um, when they hear that they've sanctified Rosh Chodesh, I mean, when they hear that Rosh Chodesh rolls around, and they distance it, means they push off Nisan and they make it instead Adar Sheni, what's going to happen is people are going to assume it must be the big court made a mistake because we've already been learning the Alachot of Pesach for 15 days and this is going to create an issue because they'll keep Pesach a month early and then a month later, which is not really Pesach, they'll refrain from the things that they're 
they're not going to refrain from eating chametz, which is a big issue. So Rav Nachman, Rav Nachman said back, made the idea, people know, they know that the year is dependent on calculation, and they'll assume, the rabbis just didn't conclude that calculation until now, so it's not really going to create such a mistake. Okay, let's move on to the next section. Now we get into the one of the main reasons to make a leap year, which is that the seasons and the yamim tovim don't align as they're supposed to, as determined by the Torah. So, just to remember, Sukkot, and we'll see actually three shitot, which parts, but Sukkot is supposed to fall out in the autumn. So, Amr of Yehuda Amr Shmuel, So, this is Shmuel's opinion, as we'll see in the position, and we'll get to a discussion of Yehuda and Yossi, which is within Shmuel's position. So, you're not supposed to make a leap year unless the majority of Tkufat Tammuz, which is the summer, extends into, means that the month of Tishrei is covered in majority, mostly by the summer, which means the autumn only begins in the minority of the month. Vikama, how much is that that's necessary for the summer to extend into Tishrei to make a leap year? Ruba shel Chodesh, Vikama Ruba shel Chodesh, so how much is the majority of the month? Shisha ser yom divar Yehuda, so the Rabbi Yehuda says, which is Shmuel's position, Rabbi Yehuda, uh, 16 days, and as we'll explain, because then we won't have all of in the autumn as it's meant to be. Rabbi Yossi says 21 days would require, if the summer extends 21 days into Tishrei, would require a leap year, because then you won't even have one day of, of Tishrei, of Cholam Oed, in the autumn. Now they both get their, their shitot, according to Shmuel, from one pasuk. Pasuk says, Chag Asif Tkuvat It says, the ingathering season, which is Sukkot, is the end of the year, or the change of the seasons, where the summer changes into the autumn. So the way they expound it is like this. Chag Asif means the time of Sukkot that you gather in, which is not the holiday itself, it's Cholam because you can't gather in the crops on, on the Chag. Rather, it's Cholam the Davar Aved, for example. That is, has to be during the time of the change, i.e. some of it has to be in the autumn. So Mar Safar Bihuda holds Kulechagba The entire Cholamoid needs to be in the autumn. So therefore if it, if the summer extends till the sixteenth, you won't have the first day of Cholamoid in the autumn, you make a leap year. Umar Savan Rabyosi hold Miktsar Chagba Inabitkufa Khadasha only some of it. You need one day of it. So if it extends till the twenty first, you don't even have one day in the new season in autumn. That's an issue, but if you have one day, it wouldn't be an issue. Micah Savi, so the Gemara says, let's analyze these opinions. What do they hold regarding the day of the equinox? The autumnal equinox in the context here. If they hold that the day of the equinox is the conclusion of the previous season, which means that the, the autumnal equinox is actually still part of the summer, so even without it being like this, says the Gemara, even if it only extends till the 15th, according to Rabbi Yehuda, or if it extends, the summer extends till the 20th, according to Rabbi Yossi, you wouldn't have the entire Cholam Oed, according to Rabbi Yehuda, in, um, in, in, in the autumn, nor would you have, according to Rabbi Yossi, one day of Cholam Oed, because the next day is still part of the previous season. Kasavri must be that they hold Yom Tkufa Matchil, that the day of the autumnal equinox is actually the beginning of the next season. So therefore, in a scenario where the summer extends till the 16th, according to Rabbi Yehuda, that means the autumnal equinox will be the next day. That begins the autumn. The problem is the 16th, which is the first day of Cholam is still part of the summer. And the same idea with Rabbi Yossi. Now the Gemara quotes a Brayta, two Brayta actually, that challenge Shmuel's understanding of this Machloket. 
So the bright down number one says like this: Yom Tkufa Gomer Div Reb Yehuda clearly Reb Yehuda holds the equinox day is the conclusion of the previous season, not the beginning of the next season. Question number one against Shmuel. But Odin, furthermore. Rav Yossi Omer Yom Tkufa Matchil. Rav Yossi would agree, like Shmuel was saying before, which is that the autumnal equinox is the beginning of the next season, but this is still difficult within the position of Rav Yossi, of Rav Yehuda. Odin, furthermore, Tanya, we have another bright that says, Ein Mavrin Tashanan, I'll have five opinions here, and we'll explain them further, but we're just showing now a question against Shmuel's opinion. So the bright dust says, Ein Mavrin Tashanan, you don't make a leap, you're at the extra Adar, Elim, Ken Aitat Kufa Chasera, Rebosh Chodesh. Unless the summer covers most of Tishrei, how much is most of it? So the Tanakhama here says, Shishasar Yom. 16 days in. Now that sounds like the Shita of Rabbi Yehuda as explained by Shmuel, but this is the Tanakhama, not Rabbi Yehuda. Rabbi Yudam, Rabbi Yehuda says, two-thirds of the month. How much is two-thirds? 20 days. Now this actually sounds like the position of Rabbi Yossi, that you just need one day of Cholam in the autumn, as Shmuel explained, but this is Rabbi Yehuda, that's the Kasha. Rabbi Yossi says, we calculate. If 16 days, now we're going to the other season now, if 16 days of the winter extend into Nisan, Ma'abrin, you have to make a leap year. And as Rashi explains, because then you won't have, moving forward, about 180 days, even one day of Cholamoid Sukkot in the autumn. Continues Rabbi Yossi, Shisha Sir Yom if 16 days of the summer extend into Tishrei, in Ma'abrin, you don't make a leap year. And we'll challenge this in a moment. But that's Rabbi Yossi's position. Shimonim with the fourth opinion. Av shisha sar yom lefneachag ma'abrin. Even if the if the summer extends sixteen days into Tishrei, you will make a leap year. Now that sounds very similar to the Tanakhama. We'll explain that momentarily. And achirim, in final opinion, achirim say, which is usually Reb Meir, miuto. Uh, even miuto, even if the minority, which we'll have to explain what this means, extends the season extends into the uh, month, you'll make a leap year. Vikam miuto. How much is the minority amount? Arba Asar Yom, 14 days. But the bottom line is, you see Shmuel's position is challenged on two fronts. Number one, is you see Rebuta holds that the Tkufa, the day of the equinox, is the conclusion of the previous season. Number two, it sounds like he only requires one day of Cholamoid to be in the autumn, not all of it. Kashi the Gemara says this is indeed difficult. Now let's analyze these five, uh, five shitot of the Brayta. Amar Mar, Rabbi Yudad said, two-thirds of the month, if the Summer extends to, into two thirds of the month of Tishrei, then you will make a leap year. Esrim Yom, Shtei Yadot Bachodesh, Esrim Yom, which is 20 days. Rabbi Yossi Yom, Rabbi Yossi said, Mechashvin Shisha Esrim Yom Lefnea Pesach Ma'abrin. If 16 days of the winter extend into Nisan, you'll make a leap year, which means then you won't have one day of Cholamoid Sukkot in the autumn. So the Gemara says, Han Rabbi is the same opinion as Rabbi Yehuda. Mara answers, Yom Tukufa Gomer, Yom Tukufa Matchil like we explained before, really the machloket between them is, is the day of the equinox treated like the previous season or the next season, Rabbi Yossi says Gomer, and Rabbi Yehuda says Gomer, Rabbi Yossi says Matchil. Amar now Rabbi Yossi's opinion itself is inherently contradictory because first he said that as long as you have one day of Cholamoed based on Nisan, the 16 days of Nisan being covered in the winter, that you won't even have one day of Nisan, of Cholamoid Sukkot in the autumn, you'll have to make a leap year, which means all you need is one day of Cholamoid Sukkot to be in the autumn. But then Amar Mari says further, Shisha Sarlef Neachag, that if you have 16 days of the winter, of the summer, into Tishrei, Ein Ma'abrin, you wouldn't make a leap year. So the Gemara says, Elder of Yossi, Shisha Sarlef Neachag, it's only if it goes 16 days that the summer extends 16 days into Tishrei, but 16 
uh, 17 or 18, actually till 20, you would make a leap here. In But the implication of the first statement is, it's only an issue if you don't have one day of Cholamoid, but less than that, which means in, in, in Nisan, if the winter extends only to the 15th, you wouldn't make a leap year because you would have one day of Cholamoid Sukkot in the, in, in, uh, in the autumn. So the Gemara answers low. Now really, Rabbi Yossi holds, Kishitato, like his opinion, right? regardless if it's the 16th through the 20th, you would not make a leap year if the summer extended into the, even till the 20th of Tishrei. Because as long as you have one day of Cholamoid Sukkot in the autumn, it would still be sufficient to not make a leap year. But since the beginning of his statement, he said 16 days into Nisan, he also said 16 days into Tishrei, but really he means actually till 20 days in, and the 21st day could be the beginning of the new season, that would still be sufficient. Rabbi Shimon said, the fourth opinion, that even if it's 16 days into Sukkot, you would make Mabrin, you would make a leap here because you need all of Cholamoid Sukkot to be in the autumn. So the Gemara is the time the same as the first opinion in the Brayta. Turning to Gimel Mudbet, so the Gemara answers: Yom Matchil Yom Gomer Velo Misaimi. The difference between Tanakam and Rabbi and Rabbi Shimon is the same Machloket Rabbi Yosi and Rabbi Yehuda. If the equinox day is like the old season or the beginning of the new season, but it's not clear, it's not apparent from their discussion which way each one will hold. Now Acherim, I mean, the, the fifth opinion in the Brayta was Acherim. Acherim said Miuto. And we're assuming at this point that we're talking about Tishrei. So even if a minority, if the uh, summer extends into a minority of Tishrei, you'll still make a leap year. Become miutar ba'asar yom, 14 days. So the Gemara says, my kasavri, what does Acherim hold? I kasavri, even if he holds, yom t'kufa gomer v'kulei chag ba'inan, that the conclusion that the Yom Tkufa, the day of the equinox, of the autumnal equinox, is the end of the old season. And even if he holds you need all of Cholamoid Sukkot to be in the autumn, Haika still you have it, because it would come out that the 15th, which is the next day, would be the autumnal equinox, and the next day, the 16th, certainly would be considered, which is the uh, first day of Sukkot. Uh, sorry, even if the old, right, which is the first day of Cholamoid Sukkot would be in the autumn, so what would be the issue? So the Gemara gives two answers. He's not talking about Tishrei. He's talking about how far the winter extends into Nisan. Like the Pasuk tells us, the Pasuk tells us, make sure that the spring begins within the first 14 days, which is the renewal of the moon of Nisan. Make sure that the spring season Kuvat Nisan begins in the first 14 days of Nisan. So the Gemara says, but still, I don't understand. But let's say that the uh, winter extends till the 14th. You don't need to add an extra month. Just make Adar from 29 days to 30 days, and then it'll pull it back one day, and spring will begin with, on the 14th day of Nisan. So the Gemara answers, but that's, you have to understand what Acherim means. The Tana Acherim is counting from the larger number till the smaller number. He's saying like this, if the winter extends at least 30 days into the month of Nisan, down to 15 days of, of the month of Nisan, this is what he means to say. Ad till miutom, but not including the 14th, ma'avrin, you'll make a leap here. Because if it extends till the 15th, so then the issue would be that pulling it back one day by adding one extra day to Adar wouldn't help you because the day of the equinox would still be an issue as that's part of the old season. 
But how much is the minority that you wouldn't have to make a leap year? Which means if the the season of the winter extends till the 14th, so you don't have to make a leap year actually, you just add one more day, that would be sufficient to Adar. Now Ravina, Ravina says, You really is talking about the general conversation of the Brayta, which is Tishrei. The Kasavri Barachirim holds, not only do you need all of Cholam to be in the autumn, but even the first day of Chag, of Sukkot as well. Asks the Gemara, Yom Tov Rishon, Chag Asif Ketiv. We know the Pasuk says Chag Asif, which we interpreted before to mean the time you could gather on Sukkot, which does not include first day of Sukkot. So the Gemara answers, Chag above is Man Asifa. No, the way you have to understand the, the, the Pasuk is the festival that comes at the time people are gathering in, but it includes the first day, has to all be in the autumn. And therefore, in the scenario that t- uh, the Tkufat Tammuz, the, the, uh, the, summer extends till the 14th what's going to happen now is the next day will be the 15th which is the autumnal equinox the problem is that's still attributed to the previous month the the previous season which is part of the summer and not part of the autumn and that will create the issue that you don't have the entire festival in the autumn let's move on to the third section now this is we skating we said in the mishnah that when these kenim would bring a korban where they paskin wrongly and the tzibur mostly engaged in a, inappropriate behavior. So they have to lean on the animals. If three of them or five of them have to lean on the animals. So says the Gemara, Tan Rabbanan says the Brayta. So the Brayta says, the elders shall lean on the animal. You might think it's just uh, ordinary elders. Use the word Eida, which means it has to be judges. Maybe it just means the smaller courts, the judges of the 23-person courts. Therefore, it says the one, the unique one, which means that there has to be representatives of the 71-person court, the Sanhedrin Gdolavi. The Kamehain, how many people have to represent them? So it's Machloket. Rabbi Yehuda says, V'samchu is shnayim, ziknei is shnayim. Samchu is two, ziknei is two. Ve'en beitin shakli, you can't have an even number of courts. And if you not lay in orechad, you add one more, so there's a total of five. Rekhan chamisha, div Rabbi Yehuda. Rabbi Shimon, Rabbi Shimon says, ziknei shnayim, ziknei is two. Ve'en beitin shakli, you can't have an even court. Once if you not lay in orechad, you add one more. Rekhan shlosha, and therefore you have a total of three. Asks the Gemara Rabbi Shimon, achti v'samchu. What does Rabbi Shimon learn from the word of v'samchu? So the Gemara answers, I only buy the gufei. No, he needs it for itself, but they have to lean on the head of the animal. Rabbi Yehuda, the gufei lo tzarich. Rabbi Yehuda says, I don't need it to. to, to Teaches that because because even if v'samchu is not you if you say v'samchu is not used for an additional drasha the Torah could have just written the elders of the congregation their hands should be on the head of the par so meaning it's understood all means on the head of the animal that they lean on it so therefore it must be it's for a different drasha to add two more to the number of representatives Rabbi Shimon Rabbi Shimon says back if it would have only said like that I would have said my al what does al mean in the context of the verse which it does sometimes mean al means it means nearby but not on the head of the animal so therefore it had to say Vesamchu uh, to teach me to actually lean on the animal. Rabbi Yudah, Rabbi Yudah says, Gamar Rosh Rosh Meola. He derives Gzera Shava. Just by the Korban Ola, they have to lean on the head of the animal. So also it's clear that they have to lean on the head of the animal by these, by this Michat Zkinim. The Pasuk is therefore extra that it teaches you that the number. Rabbi Shimon lo Gamar Rosh Rosh Meola. And Rabbi Shimon doesn't hold with this Gzera Shava, and therefore he doesn't need to use it for, and he needs to use it for leaning all together, and that's why he only holds three people who lean on the head of the animal. Tana says the Brayta. We've gone to the fourth section now, Smicha, Vesmichat, Skenim, Begimel. It says, Smicha, 
which we're going to have to define what this is, as well as smichatz kenim is with three. Now, my smicha or my smichatz kenim. What is this smicha? Smichatz kenim we know refers to what we mentioned before, leading on the parhelim davershal tzibur. But what is the smicha we're referring to in this brayta? So Amr Rabbi Yochanan, Mismach Sabi, it means giving over what we call smicha, actually, rabbinic ordination. It requires a court of three to give over to ordain a student as a rabbi. Amr Le'abayla Rav Yosef, Abayla Sech Rav Yosef, Mismach Sabi Bishloshaminalan. What is the source for this principle that giving over smicha needs to be done in an assembly of three rabbis? If it's from the Pasuk that says, that Moshe leaned his hands on the head of Yoshua when he ordained him into practice, if that's true, Moshe is just one person, so maybe you'll need one rabbi. Maybe you'll tell me Moshe is like the representative of the whole Sanhedrin of 71. The problem then is, if that's truly, so maybe you should need 71 people to ordain a rabbi. So Moshe says, Kasha, this is difficult. We don't have an answer for this. We don't know the source. You need three rabbis to give smicha. Now, I'm going to the Ravashi. Do you actually have to lean with your hand on the student who's being ordained? No, we ordain with the name. They call him Rebbe. And they give him permission to adjudicate scenarios of penalties. So the, the, as Rashi explains, because penalties are things that are not as common, and also there's no loss of money. So therefore, the judges that are not ordained, and as Rashi says, those judges in Bavel, they were not allowed to adjudicate cases of penalties, but those who were ordained were allowed to. Unlike other things, for example, like loans or thefts, there they acted as representatives in Bavel, even though they didn't necessarily receive the ordination like this. Says the Gemara, V'chad lo samich, asks the Gemara, is one person not allowed to give smicha? V'ha'amr Rav Yudah Marab Baram. There's a certain person who remember for good, Rav Yudah ben Bava Shmo, his name was Rav Yudah ben Bava. She'el malehu nishtachu dinek nasot mi Yisrael. Without him, the Jews would have forgotten the rules of penalties. The Gemara says, nishtachu? What do you mean they would have forgotten? Negrosinu, we could have learned it from the books. Ela, the Gemara says, Yedal no Aleph, Batlu dinek nasot mi Yisrael. What it means is, it would have become batel, that we couldn't have adjudicated cases of penalties anymore because smicha would have gone out of style, it would have been lost. Because one time the Romans, the wicked empire, decreed against the Jewish people. Anybody that gives smicha will be killed. We call him And anybody that receives smicha will be killed. And a year, the city that they give smicha will be destroyed. And the border uh, areas will also be uprooted. What did Yudah ben Baba do to maintain smicha? He sat between two great mountains. Between two big cities. Between two areas that were 2,000 amot away from two cities. He gave smicha to these five chachamim. When the Goyim realized what he had done, he said to the students, to my son, run away. They said, Rebbe, what's going to be with you? He said, I'll be like a stone that can't be overturned. Means they'll deal, they'll take, they'll kill me, but run away. They said, that Rabbi Yudah ben Baba didn't remove from there till the Romans pierced his body by 300 spears of iron, made him like a sieve. They killed him. But the point is, is you see clearly in his great Messiah at Nefesh, nonetheless he gave smicha as an individual. So you see, you don't need three. 
So the Gemara answers, There were two other people with him there. It was just in the honor of Yudim and Baba. They weren't listed because you don't want to create an equivalency because of his greatness. Asks the Gemara a side question. Anybody that says Rabbi Akiva didn't give Rabbi Meir smicha, he's making a mistake. So it's like Rabbi Akiva gave him smicha. Our answer is What happened was Rabbi Meir was young when he received smicha from Rabbi Akiva, so they didn't take it seriously. When Rabbi Meir was a little older, he received smicha from Rabbi Baba Akiva, and people accepted it. Okay, let's continue. Let's discuss another halacha of smicha. Rabbi Yeshua ben Levi says there's no smicha in chutz alaretz. Am I in smicha? What does that mean? If it means that they cannot adjudicate cases of kanas, of penalties in chutz alaretz, because we don't take the smicha there, even if they received it from Eretz Yisrael, you can't adjudicate like in Eretz Yisrael. The problem is, Vatsanan the Mishnah Masechet Makot tells us, Sanhedrin Oheged Bein Ba'aretz Bein Bechutz Alaretz, that the Sanhedrin, 23 people courts, are applicable both in Eretz Yisrael and Chutz Alaretz, and we know included in that is penalties. So Ella, what it means is, the Los Amchina Bechutz Alaretz, you can't convey smicha, confer smicha outside of Israel. So the Gemara says, Pshita, it's obvious. If only the ones receiving smicha are in Eretz Yisrael and the rabbis giving it are in Chutz Laaretz, that's not effective because that's not effective. But if you have the rabbis giving it in Eretz Yisrael, students in Chutz Laaretz, what's the halacha? Could you give smicha in such a scenario? So Tashma, the Gemara says, let's bring a proof from a story. Rabbi Yochanan was very bothered if Shembar Abba was not near him in order to give him smicha, and therefore you see clearly because he wasn't by him, you can't give smicha to students that are in chutz alaretz away from you. And the Gemara goes on and tells us a similar story. So these two students, one that was near Rabbi Yochanan, he gave him smicha. The other one was not near him, he did not give him smicha. Rabbi Hanina, Rabbi Yoshaya, these two students, Rabbi Yochan really wanted the Mishmechinu to give them smicha. But he was never able to, he was never successful. As Rashi explains, there was never three judges there when these two students would come. So Havakam, it started too, Rabbi Yochan was very bothered. So they said to Rabbi Yochan, don't be bothered. Because we, Rabbi Hanina, Rabbi Yoshaya, are from the family of Eli. How do we know that the people from Eli's house that descended from Eliyahu Kohen are not going to receive smicha. As part of the punishment of Eli, because he didn't correct his children's negative behaviors, there will never be a zakin in your house all the days. So my zakin, what does that mean? If it means they won't get old, we already know that from a different pasuk, it says, they won't live beyond 18. That's already a different curse. It means they won't receive smicha. So they said, don't worry, because we're not destined to receive it anyways as descendants of the house of Eli. Rabbi Zera have a metamer Rabbi Zera avoided uh, hit himself so that he wouldn't have to receive smicha. A person should always be in the dark, right? In the not in the limelight. Bekayem in order to live. When he heard the statement of Belazar, which was that a person doesn't ascend to great greatness unless he's forgiven for all of his sins. He pushed himself, he wanted to receive smicha in order to be forgiven for his sins. And the Gemara tells us, when they gave Rabbi Zera smicha, they sang the following song to him, praises. 
He doesn't have all these uh, glorifications of eye paint and face paint and uh, braiding of the hair. And he still finds favor means he's just a brilliant Talmud Chacham altogether. When they gave smichat to Rabbi Ami Ravasi, they sang the following thing. Anyone like this, give them smicha for us. But but don't give smicha to the rags, meaning the people who don't necessarily have the adequate knowledge to paskin. Nor from those that nor from those that twist things and, and give the wrong pshatim. And others say, not from those who steal, meaning they don't provide the Torah, they hold it to themselves. Nor from those who are like lupines, which is a type of legume, which some of Farshim say means not to bitter people either. When you would go from the yeshiva to the house of the Caesar, the noble woman would sing the following, the leader of his people, means he was the financial leader, took care of them, the radiant light, because he had a beautiful shine to himself. Your arrival should come in peace. Let's move on now to the fifth section. We said in the Mishnah that the decapitation of the Eglah Rufa was done with a court of three. It means they would measure, this according to Rabbi Shimon, it was Machloket, Rabbi Yudah said five, uh, it had to be done with five measurements, five people measuring from the Sanhedrin, the city that was closest to the dead person. Tan Rabbanan says the bright tab, Yatsuzikinecha so it says the elders and the judges will leave your city. So zikenecha is shnayim, zikenecha is two. Shoftecha is is another two. Bein beitin shakul, you can't have an even court. Mosifin alein orechad, you add another one. Arei kan chamisha divrev yud. Rabbi says therefore you have a total of five. Rabbi Shimon omer zikenecha shnayim. Shimon says zikenecha is two. Bein beitin shakul, you can't have an even court. Mosifin alein orechad, you add one more. Arei kan shlosha, so you have a total of three. I Rabbi Shimon hai shoftecha mayavidle. What does he learn from the shoftecha? It has to be members of the Sanhedrin. Rabbi Yudah learns it out because it could have said Zeknei. The fact that it says Zeknecha teaches you also the Miuchadim. These people have to come from the Sanhedrin. Rabbi Shimon, Rabbi Shimon says back, If you only had Zeknei Hava, I mean, I would have said Zeknei Ashuk, that it refers to just ordinary elders. Therefore, it says Zeknecha Iktiv, Zeknecha, it only says Zeknecha Hava, Mina Sanhedrin Tana. So maybe it could be elders of the 23-person court. Therefore, that it means even members of the 71-person court. Rabbi Yudah, Gamar Zeknei Zeknei, Mi Vismopi, Vismamcho Zeknei Aida. Now, Rabbi Yudah doesn't have an issue because he learns the Zerah Shavah from the Parha Elam Davar Shaltibor, Et Yedehem, Mala Alam Yuchadim Shubeida, Afkan Yuchadim Shubeida. So therefore, he knows that there have to be Sanhedrin here just like there. But the Gemara says, if that's true, so he can learn all of the entire idea, even the number five from there. So why does he need the Drashot here to teach us number five? So the Gemara says, why according to Rabbi do you need these words here now? So rather, as Rashi explains, really does not learn the Gezer HaShavah. And Shoftecha teaches you Miuchadim, the specific ones, which means from the Sanhedrin. But he has the Kenecha, and he also has the Vav of Shoftecha to teach us the number two, which is a total of four. Rabbi Shimon, Vav Lo Darish, and Rabbi Shimon, as Tosafot explains, doesn't expound the Vav here, even though elsewhere he would make a drasha from the Vav. Lamiyata says the Gemara, if that's true, Viyatsu, Shnai, Viyatsu is another two. Umadidu, Shnai, that could be another two as well. So the Rabbi Yudah, Tisha, the Rabbi Shimon, Shiva, so according to Rabbi Yudah, you should need nine people to engage in the measurement, and Rabbi Shimon, you should need seven. 
Gemara answers, those are used for other dress shot. As it says, Vyatsu teaches us that the Sanhedrin themselves have to go out. They can't just send representatives, it has to be actual members of the Sanhedrin. And Umadadu teaches us, even if it's clear which city it's closest to, you still have to measure. There's a mitzvah to measure which city it's closest to. Okay, let's continue now. The Gemara tells us that our Mishnah said you have three or five judges who would measure the dead body. How, which city it's closest to. But Matnitin de Loki Aitana. Clearly our Mishnah is not like Rabbi ben Yaakov. The Tanya is the Braita teacher. Lez ben Yaakov only. So the Sanhedrin needs to be involved in the measurement. But also the king and Kohen Gadol had to engage. Melech is called Shoftecha. As it says, Melech Mishvat Yamid Aretz. Kohen Gadol Dichtev Uvatel Akoanim Malavim Vela Shofet. So therefore, Blaz Ben Yaakov requires also the king of the Kohen Gadol, unlike our Mishnah. Yivai Ludigmara wonders Rabbi Ezben Yaakov Bechad Apaleg or Betarti Apaleg. Is Rabbi Ezben Yaakov, Yaakov arguing on one point or two? Regarding the king and Kohen Gadol, he's clearly arguing, but in regards to how many members of the Sanhedrin, either he holds three like Rabbi Shimon or five like Rabbi Yudah. Or Dilmor, perhaps, the Sanhedrin Ami Palig, the Amar Kula Sanhedrin, he requires also the entire Sanhedrin to emerge, which means he would argue on two points. Amar Rabbi Yosef, Tashma, let's bring a proof. The Brayta teaches this regarding a Zaken Mamre. Matzana Beit Pagi If the elder who's paskining against the Sanhedrin, they find him <clears throat> at Bay Pagi, which is outside of the place they sit, which is the Lishkata Gazit. It's a uh, outside area that was added on afterwards to Yerushalayim. So if they paskin and he still refuses their psak, you might think that's a rebellion that would require him to be put to death. It says, no, specifically. No, it's the place that they need a paskin in Lashgata Gazit in the Beit HaMikdash. And if he argues on them still, then he is put to death. So the Gemara says, How many of the Sanhedrin would emerge in the case of this Brayta? If it only means some of them emerge. Maybe the ones that remained in the Lishkat HaGazit actually paskin like him. So how could you even entertain putting him to death? They all came out. So the Gemara says, how many, uh, so for what? What was the purpose of them emerging? If it was only for something voluntary, could they all go out for something voluntary? We know the Pasuk tells us in Shirashirim, your navel is like a crescent-shaped basin, referring to the Sanhedrin. Don't diminish from the diluted wine. Now, what it refers to is that you have to always have at least one-third of the Sanhedrin, 23 people, remaining in the inner area where they would judge during the times of judgment, until 12 o'clock in the day. So clearly they can't all emerge. It must be for a mitzvah. So what's the mitzvah? It must be, this is for measuring for Egla Rufa. So says Rabbi Yosef, and we know it can't be Rabbi Yosef, because there's only three members. It must be. Why do you need all of them? That all the court would go out for measuring for Egla Rufa. So Amr Abai, Abai is to Rabbi Yosef, and he says, look, not necessarily. There's another mitzvah they could have gone out for. We know that when they would add on to the city of Yerushalayim or onto the courtyards of the Beit HaMikdash, the entire Sanhedrin participate. So that's why they went up. Like the Mishnah tells us, you cannot add on to the city of Yerushalayim or the courtyards of Beit HaMikdash unless you have the entire court of Sanhedrin. Now the Gemara says, nonetheless, Tanik Avatei of Yosef, there is a bright that supports Rav Yosef to say that Rav Lezben Yaakov holds you need the whole court there. 
Matzana Beit Pagi, if they found this elder at the Beit Pagi, they ran away and he rebelled against them. Kegon, Sheyatz Ulam Didat Egla, for example, they went out to measure for Egla Rufa, means they all went out for that. Clearly, Rabbi Elazar and Yaakov holds they all have to go out. He argues on both points. Or to add on to the city of Al-Azarot. Now, in the context there, you might think that's considered a rebellion. Therefore, it says, And needs to be in the place in the Mishkat HaGazit. But the point is, you see, a proof to Rabbi Yosef that Rabbi Elazar and Yaakov does argue on both points. Let's move on now to the sixth section of the day. We're going to talk about a series of things that require appraisals, hektish, and as we'll talk about now, you need to, three people to determine if you don't know how much your netravai or maaser sheni is worth, how much it's worth to redeem it. Tanur Abanan says the Brayta. What does it mean it's not uh, able to be determined? Unknown. It means the produce has spoiled to some degree, so you need people to ascertain its value in its appraisal. So you require three merchants, Rashi says, who are proficient in this determination to estimate its value. But not if they're not proficient. And be one of them, as long as he's a merchant who's proficient in this. And even the owner of it could be one of one of those three. What if they're three but they're business partners? So Tashma, the Gemara says, bring a proof. You could have a man and his two wives as these three appraisers. So if you could have a man and his two wives, they're all being supported with the same money. It's like three businessmen together that are uh, partners. You could use three businessmen. The Gemara says it's not a proof because maybe it's talking about a woman who's not being supported by her husband, which is the concept of but in a normal case, maybe they wouldn't be able to be and business partners would not be able to be the appraisers either. Let's move on to the, let's continue over here. We said in the Mishnah, which is movable hektish, requires three people to ascertain for its deconsecration. Our, our Mishnah does not follow the following. Even these like small forks that were used for weaving gold strings would require 10 people to ascertain its value for redemption. So our Mishnah says three, and, and Rabbi Lezben Yaakov really holds you need ten, even for movable hektish. So our Mishnah holds like Shmuel. The Amr Kishmuel says, it says the word Kohanim in regards to ascertaining value ten times in the parasha, three times in Erechin, three times in the movable hektish items, and three times in redemption of lands. So I understand why you need ten regarding all of these things, lands or redemption of, of movables, it's the same. You need 10 as the parasha emphasizes. Well, why would the rabbis say you need three for evaluating uh, movable hektish? Because it says it three times in that parasha. The problem is, by land, it says four times the word koanim in terms of the appraisers. So, But we know you don't, you, we know that the Rabbanan and our Mishnah, you need ten. So then why, why don't you need four? Maybe you'll say that you do need four. But we learned in our Mishnah, that for lands to appraise its value for redemption, you need nine plus a kohen, you need ten people. What do you have to say? That since it finishes off a total of ten koanim between these three parashas, 
Parashiot with the lands, so you need ten for lands. The problem is, Hekdeshot, the Mishalmi Bushita, Hekdeshot, it concludes with six times that it says the word coin, because you have three in the Parasha before about Arachin, and then three more in movable Hekdesh. So you should need six. Vibayashita, you should need six. And where's this Kasha? This is indeed difficult to understand the position of the Rabbanan. Let's continue. Arachin Chulis. We said in the Mishnah, movable Arachin. Arachin Amitaltalin require three judges, three appraisers to ascertain its values. Where's Maya Arachin Amitaltalin? Arachin is a, a word used when someone pledges his Torah value to be given to the Beit HaMikdash. But what does it mean, Arachin Amitaltalin, of movables? So three Pshatim. Amr of Gidala Marav, Omer Erech Klizelites, where somebody said, I'm giving the Erech of this vessel. Amr of Gidala Marav, turning to Tetvav Moralef, Omer Erech Klizelai, Noten Damav. If somebody says, I'm giving the Erech of this vessel, you give its value, its Damim. My time, what's the reason? Adam Yodesh and Erech Lekli. Because everyone knows a Kli does not have an Erech. So he de- declared this in order to give its value. He just uh, was unclear. That's why he gave its value. Asks the Gemara, how could that be Pshat in the Mishnah? Why does it say the Arachin of movables? It should say Arachin Shel Metaltalin. It's mashma that the Arachin is movable. So why does it say, it should really say Arachin of movables? And what is this to me? You should be teaching the Mishnah Arachin Shel Metaltalin. That's really what it means to say. This is the first answer of Gidel Amarav. Answer number two of Chizda, of Chizda Amar, Amar Avimai, Vematfis Metaltalin Arachin. He pledged his value to be given to the Beit HaMikdash, his Erech, and then he said that I use this vessel to cover my value. The Gemara says, "Hi, Arachin, Metaltalin, Metaltalin, Shal Arachin, Mibayilich." The opposite, Metaltalin, Metaltalin, of Arachin is really the way that it should be said. The Gemara says, "Tani, Metaltalin, Shal Arachin, Echam." That's what it means to say. Third answer: Rabbi Avoh, Amar, Vaomer, Erkielayis, where he pledged his value and he didn't pay it. So, Bakohen, Ligvot, Bimen, and the Kohen came to collect from him, Metaltalin, Bishloshas, like this. If he's collecting movables, he has to evaluate it with three people. And if he's taking land, so then it would have to be ten people to evaluate it. Ravachamidif turned to Ravina and he said a question on the third pshat. I understand according to the first two pshatim, what you're trying to do is to remove an item from its status of hektish. Now you don't want to leave any element of hektish there, because then there would be an isur mi'ilah to benefit from that in the future. So it makes sense why you need evaluators and you need appraisers to ascertain its value. But in the third pshat that we said, Rabbi Avau, you're putting it into hektish. You're collecting this in place of what he owes. So what's the big deal if you make a little bit of a mistake? Why do you need three appraisers? What's the issue? So Malay, Ravina said back, Ravina answered back, Svarat's logic, Mali Iloi, Mali Iuli, Mali Afuki. What's the difference if it's entering hektish or being removed from hektish? Afuki, my time, what's the reason to remove from hektish? You need three appraisers. Dilmatai, because you might make a mistake. Iulinami, Dilmatai, so maybe to put it into hektish too, you need three appraisers because you might make an error. Let's move on. Rabbi Yudah, Rabbi already said, regarding these movables of hektish and erachin, you would need three, but you need one of them to be a Kohen. According to Rabbi I understand it says Kohen, the Pasuk, you need a Kohen. El Rabbanan, Kohen, Lama but why, according to the Rabbanan, does it say Kohen Pasuk if you don't need a Kohen to be one of the appraisers? Kasha, this is difficult. Okay, we said in the Mishnah, Karkot, Tishav, Kohen. So, according to the Rabbanan, when it comes to lands, to, to deconsecrate the lands that were holy, you need nine appraisers plus one as a Kohen, ten people altogether. But not really, where do we know this from? It says the word Kohanim as the appraisers ten times. Chad so one teaches us you need one Kohen. Hanach, the rest of them, are exclusionary terms after exclusionary terms. And that teaches us actually inclusion, which is that it's not specifically Kohen, but rather 
you could have nine more Yisraelim that's effective. It would be effective if nine Yisraelim and one Kohen would be the appraisers. question. He said, Once you're using this strategy, so maybe start off like this. Say the first one is a Kohen. The second one is a miyuda to Yisrael, but then you go back to having a riboy, and then the third one is a new exclusion, which means it should be a kohen. And if you continue like this, it should be five kohenim and five Yisraelim. Kashya, this is indeed difficult. Now the Mishnah told us, when you redeem a person who was consecrated, you also need nine people plus a kohen to appraise him. So it's You can't be referring to an evid because you wouldn't call him Adam. So what, who is this referring to? What type of a person could be sanctified? So a person pledged his own value. Tanya, as the Brayta says, Omer If somebody says I'm pledging my value to Hektish, we estimate his value as a slave would be sold in the slave market. And since slaves are compared to properties, like it says, so therefore you'd need nine plus the Kohen, like the devaluation of properties. How many people would you need to deconsecrate hair that had been consecrated? But it's hair that's ready to be cut. Kegazuz dami, do we say it's like it's already cut and therefore vishloshet, like movables that require a cord of three? Okay, mechuber dami, or it's like attached to vasara, and you need a cord of ten, like deconsecrating lands that have been holy. So Tashmah, let's bring a proof because the Brayta teaches us a related debate. Hamakdishet avdo in ma'alin bo. Tanakama says if you sanctify your Eved, there is no isser of me'ila because he's compared to properties. And there's no isser of me'ila when it comes to properties that have been sanctified. You're not chayav from Mila. It's usher to actually benefit from it as hektish, but you won't be chayav like the isur of Mila. no, there is Mila in his hair. The kaimal, and we paskin over there, the bisaro, the debate is where the hair is long enough that it's ready to be detached. So Shmami, no, we see that this is exactly the machloket. That according to the Tanakama who says that there's no isur Mila in his hair, it's because it's considered connected. The Tanakama would hold here too in this question that the hair would need to be evaluated by 10 people, it's like karka. Shemagamlil says it's considered detached, and therefore also in regards to, and there is me'ila, and therefore also in regards to evaluation, you only need three people. Says the Gemara, let's assume that the debate, the Tanaik debate we're about to quote is the same underlying machloket. The the Mishnah of Metziah tells Rameer, Rameer says, Yesh tvarim she'en kekarka, ve'enan kekarka. There are things that look like land, but they don't have the same halacha of land, which is that although land you can't make a shvua of modem emiktzat ta'ana, here you would. Ve'en chachamim modim lo, but the chachamim disagree. Ketzad, what's the case? First, two people walk into court. One says to the other, Eser kfanim tu'unot masarti lecha. I gave you ten vines full of grapes, and we're going to see these grapes were ready to be picked, but they were to attached to the ground. The other one said, There was only five. Rabbi Meir, Meir says that you would be chayav a because he holds that those grapes would be considered disconnected already, and therefore you do make a shvua, as it's like modem ta'ana, not on property, and you make a shvua. And he'd hold like Rabbi Shemagam before in regards to the hair being an Isra of Meila. That anything that's attached to the ground is like the ground, like the Rabbanan before, and therefore you don't make a shvua because you can't make a shvua in Ishbain al Karkaot. The debate here is where the grapes are ready to be picked. So, Marsav, a mayor like Rabbi Shimigamil, hold Kibzurot Damian, that it's like they're detached, so you make a shvua. It's not considered detached, so you don't make a shvua.
So the Gemara says, Lo, Afilo Tema the Rebbe Meir. Rebbe Meir could be like the Rabbana in the previous debate that the hair is not an Isra of Ne'ilah. Adkan lo kamar of Meir Hassan Ramele says, Consider detached, Yechai of a Shrua here, Kok kama deshaf geluhomi kachashi. Because as long as you leave those grapes on more, it gets worse. So that's considered detached, because it'll rot. Avasaro, but hair, Kok kama deshaf geluhashbuche mishbach. If you leave it, it gets better. So maybe you'd agree with Achachamim that's considered attached. In regards to that, there wouldn't be. Uh, Isur of Meilah in the previous debate. Now let's move on to the seventh and final section of the day. We said in the Mishnah, moving on to the second section of the Mishnah now, capital cases that require 23 judges. And we said in the Mishnah that if an animal is roveya a person, means an animal has relations with a person and the animal is the active party, so there is going to be an adjudication of 23 people to know if they should put the animal and this person to death. So kapazik v'tani loshna rovea zachar v'loshna rovea nekeva. Mishnah does not distinguish if the animal had relations, but again, the animal's the active party and the person's the passive party, whether it was rovea a woman or even a man. So the Gemara says, bishlam rovea nekeva d'chtiv v'ta'ima. We know that regarding if it has relations with a woman, it says that you put the woman and the, the animal to death, and we compare them, just as the woman requires a court of 23, also the animal does. Now where the man is the active party, we have a pasuk for that. But where the animal is, where do we know that the when it has relation to the man, also would require a court of 23? Because the pasuk says an extra verse. Anybody that sleeps with an animal will surely be put to death. Now it's not necessary to teach us if a man is the active participant with an animal, the animal needs a court of 23, because we know that already. So it must be, it's to teach us where the man is the passive party, the animal still requires a court of 23. It uses the word shochev, that the man is, the, the animal is shochev, uh, to compare that in a scenario, sorry, that the man is shochev, that even if he's the active party, it's the same as if he's the passive party. Just as if he's the active party with the animal, it requires 23 to adjudicate the animal. The same thing would be if he's the passive party, him and the animal would require a court of 23 to adjudicate. We're stopping at the bottom of Chaptet Vav Mud Aleph. With Hashem, we did two and a half blot of review today, two and a half tapim. And we'll pick up next week, this coming week tomorrow, with the bottom of Tetvav Mud Aleph, turning to Tetvav Mud Bet, continuing to discuss cases of capital uh, judgments that require courts of 23 to adjudicate. Shavuot Tov, everyone. A wonderful week. All the best.